Merry Christmas, everybody. Welcome. Thanks, Willie. <laughs> I actually opened the door and just almost knocked this guy over just trying to get out of here. The mayhem that happens behind the scenes. Maybe you feel that way just getting here today, parents. I think there's two big miracles of Christmas. One, Jesus, of course. Number two is every parent that gets their kid here semi-dressed. So well done. <laughs> well done. Uh, we've been having a blast today. You're getting me at my third service, so I'm a little saucy. So you get to have the saucy service. We're going to have fun. Yeah. We're going to have fun. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, Jesus in this scene just bursts onto the scene with just absolutely riotous joy. In this scene in Luke, the joy in this scene is, it's so uncontainable that the angels are literally spilling out of heaven, having had too much eggnog up there with the Lord. There's no other scene in the entire Bible where a company of angels explodes on an earthly scene, not one. There's something about this moment that is so spectacular, so special, that angels can't contain their joy. Okay, if you want to picture the joy of heaven at this moment, bring to mind Buenos Aires having won the World Cup. (laughs) All right? Just picture the scene. Five million people packed celebrating as a nation, so crowded that when the bus with the players and the World Cup trophy got into town, they got, I don't even think a quarter of a mile before they had to stop, abandon ship, and get a helicopter. People were jumping off freeway overpasses to get onto the bus. Heaven just won the World Cup in Jesus' birth. Uh, check this out as we show you a clip. Five million people. <laughs> Look at that. That's, that's what this scene is. There is an uncontainable joy, and heaven is bursting at the seams. In verse 10, the angels say to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all people. So, what is this joy? What is this good news, and what is the reason for this joy in this moment? And why do we celebrate every year this tradition since, get this, since the fourth century, Christians have been gathering like this to celebrate the wonder and the incomprehensible nature of what is happening in this little ordinary scene. So in this painting, we get a beautiful picture of... uh, from Gerhard Honthorst. He is a Dutch painter, and I'll talk more about him in a minute, but I love this scene because it captures the wonder and the awe, the joy, the adoration of the shepherds as they're looking at glow-in-the-dark Jesus. They're just blown away by him. (laughs) We'll talk about that, but there is a reason behind why Jesus is glowing like this. But uh, I just want to just ask the question, what is this good news and joy that the angels are talking about? Let's come at it afresh today. Some of us are coming at it and need a fresh heart, fresh ears to hear this amazing message. Others of us have never heard it before. You know, there are some of us in this room who actually don't know what the reason for all the commotion is. So that's what we're going to talk about. And to do this, 
to step into this hollowed ground, this sacred space, we're going to go to a poet to help us make sense of what's happening here. And we're going to John chapter 1, verse 14. It's on your card. You can just grab it, and you can follow along in the passage or look at the screen. But here's how John put it. John said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John doesn't give us, paint us an image of shepherds or angels or magi. He talks about the word becoming flesh. It's like John in this moment is lighting candles to help us see what this moment is all about, to see the significance of this moment, to shed light on this, what would appear to most people to be an ordinary moment, just two parents who don't have enough money um, to afford a hotel are sitting in a manger uh, with a baby. Um, come on, yes, thank you. I want more of that. Thank you. So I want to talk through these three candles that John lights to shed light on this moment so we can together enter into the wonder of this moment with fresh hearts. The first candle that John lights is this phrase, the word became flesh. Now the angels, they tell the shepherds that a savior and a messiah is born. Now that's pretty spectacular, savior. Who couldn't use a savior? I got a savior wardrobe right here with my wife. You don't want to see what I was going to wear. <laughs> but Jesus is a savior of another order, another magnitude, and John wants to help us understand what kind of savior. Not a wardrobe savior, not an AP calculus savior, not a make me a little bit better at my sport kind of coach savior, but a savior to change everything in our life for all time. Listen, he uses this word, logos. Let's go back right here. The word became flesh. In Greek, it would be logos. Now, at the time that John wrote this, logos was the way people at the time, without Hubble and Webb telescope, were trying to make sense of the universe and trying to make sense of the order and the structure that seems to pervade all of creation. And so they call it the logos, the rational, unifying principle or force that it seems to work behind the scenes to bring order and dependability to the universe. Think of, think of every morning the sun is rising. Why does it rise? Why every day can you count on the sun to rise? And when you suck in oxygen for your lungs to be filled, your blood to be saturated with oxygen and to exhalate and your, your heart just beats on rhythm all day long. What a miracle. What a wonder. What is bringing order and structure to this creation that we see all around us? And so, logos. But Jesus, in, in saying this, John is saying that Jesus is more than a good person, a good teacher or philosopher, that he is, get this, God himself. Come on now. Now that's... That's hard to swallow. Listen to what he says here. In chapter 1, verse 1, he says this. He goes, the word was with God. All right, that's pretty radical. Be scared of anybody who says, yes, I was just with God. Run. <laughs> but now he goes even crazier. 
and the Word was God. The Word was with God, the Word was God. Now here we have what we call a paradox. Two things that seem to be contradictory but actually work together to reveal an even greater truth in the mystery of that paradox. And this starts to lead us into the wonder of Christmas. The wonder is a part of celebrating Christmas because it's this time of year where we stop to just meditate on this spectacular, incomprehensible idea that the fullness of God's nature was clothed in human skin, a baby. Get this. And then he goes on and he says, through him, all things. Everyone say all. All things, everything was made. Now that's radical. Come on now. That's some stuff. So what John is saying in this moment is, when he says the word became flesh, he's saying the creator of all the universe, all the galaxies, is all of a sudden living in a baby. And I want to help you just get into it and just wrap your mind around this. So let's talk about the universe for a minute, the observable universe. Now with the help of the Webb Telescope, we can peer into interstellar space farther than any point in human history. We can look 46.5 billion light years into interstellar space. Now, wrap your mind around this. If you were to take the entire uh, circumference of our, our sphere, of our ability to observe into interstellar space, you would be able to gather up two trillion, wait for it, galaxies. I bet you thought I was going to say stars. I'm not. Two trillion galaxies now in the observable universe. Now, you know what a galaxy is? Okay, let me just break it down, just in case you forgot from high school. Uh, you got the solar system. Here we are, Earth floating around the sun. That's our solar system. And then you want to zoom out. The sun is a star, one of 100 billion stars in the Milky Way. Now, this is just the stars in the Milky Way. 100 billion stars in the Milky Way, but we've got 2 trillion galaxies in the known universe, some of which hold up to a trillion stars. Now that's just, I know, I know, I know. You're like, I don't even know what you're talking about anymore. <laughs> so I want to bring in my friend Nick Gilmore, who last week just had a great way of picturing it. So he just put it very simply for all of us. He just said, okay, take all the ocean waters of the entire earth and try to fit it into a shot glass. Boom, you've got Jesus. The universe. Let's go to the next slide. The universe in a baby. Now, this is the wonder of Christmas. I know. You're going, whoa, these Christians really are whack. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know. I know you think we're crazy, but hang in there because it gets even crazier. So just enjoy the ride. The wonder of Christmas is the utter incomprehensibility of God in a baby but that's still not a crazy enough. Listen to what Paul writes in Colossians. He says, for God was pleased to have, get this, all, everyone say all. all, all his fullness to dwell in the sun. Now that's crazy. Do you remember when you went, last time you went on a big trip and you were trying to pack your suitcase? 
You know, and you're trying to pack it all in there. I remember I was going to a conference in Rome to meet with pastors from all over the world, and I had every one of my shoes, all of my jackets. I just felt, my entire wardrobe was in my suitcase, and I just couldn't shut it. So what do you do? Thank you. She's like, I'm killing it. Thank you. (laughs) You start to pull out clothes. But I want you to understand this. God didn't have to pull any of himself out to fit all of himself into his son, the fullness of God, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human. Just sit and meditate on that over some strong eggnog. And I want to ask you this question, but why? Why did God come in the flesh? Now, this is the important question. Why? Because if you could go anywhere, would you want to come here? Oh, maybe, well, 70 degrees, why not? But seriously, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? And God wanted to be here with us. Check this out. The reason why God came in the flesh was the second part of this sentence. He says, the word became flesh and what? Made his dwelling among us. He didn't do a drive-by. He didn't do a drive-through. He made his dwelling among us. Jesus lived about 33 years of life. He started the way we all started, born as a child in a womb and grew up just like the rest of us. Here's the point. Christmas celebrates the wonder of God in human form, but also celebrates this dwelling, and what it represents that God wants to be near to you, that God wants to be close to you. And that's not true for all religions. Not all religions teach that God wants to be close to you. The majority of religions, what they teach is you have to earn a right to be near to God. But Christianity is so crazy because God's crazy. He flipped it. He's like, no, no, you are not dying to get close to me. I am dying to get close to you. That's God, and that's a weird religion to build if you're making it up. Because really, in the end, if it was human-made, as human beings, don't we want everybody coming to us? Don't we love it when he goes, hey, I know you. Like, hey, all right, all right. (laughs) Don't we want everyone coming to our Instagram and our Snapchat? Yes, we do. We want everyone coming to our sites, to us. We want everyone coming to our party. But God is the one who wants to come to yours. Now we're getting a little closer to the idea of what's going on, but think of the goodness. When you think of the goodness of God dwelling among us, okay, you ready? I want to help us get in touch with that. So think of the goodness of a slumber party. How many people here have ever been to a slumber party? Raise your hand. If you've been to a slumber come on, I mean, let's participate. I'll wake you up. <laughs> ah, okay, let's do this. If you've been to a slumber party, stand up first for a moment. Stand up, come on, let's stretch it out. <laughs> stretch it out, stretch it out, come on. No, seriously, you've never been to a slumber party? Okay, look, I mean, look around. I wonder when the first slumber party ever happened. What was, I want to call you up here, but I won't. Go ahead and take a seat, (laughs) hear your stories. But what makes a slumber party so fun? Is it that you can stay up later than normal? Uh. Is a slumber party awesome because you can eat things you wouldn't normally get to eat? Like all the... Coca-Cola you can drink, all the s'mores you can cram in your mouth? I don't know. I'll tell you the best part of a slumber party is because your friend is coming into your world, or flipped, you get to go into your friend's world. That is God. God, as one scholar put it, moved into the neighborhood. That Greek word for dwell, it means for God to pitch a tent near us. God wants to be near you. 
And that's just an awesome thought. It was an awesome thought for me when my wife decided she wanted to marry me and dwell with me for the rest of my life. God have mercy on her. <laughs> we'll talk about grace later, but the Bible is full of this theme of dwelling. In fact, what if I told you the entire Bible is about God's desire to dwell with us? In Genesis, picture it, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve cruising around, and what do they hear? They hear, it says in Genesis 3, the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden with them. That's how it opens, and watch how the Bible closes. It's final book. It's a vision. And John is seeing the fulfillment, the consummation of all human history, what we deep in our hearts are all striving for. What is the summa cum laude of human experience? I know I didn't use that right, but it sounds cool. Listen, <laughs> Revelation 21, 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God, dwelling place, is now among the people, and he will dwell with them and slumber party with them forever. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. God shines a light on this moment a third way. Why? He takes flesh, and there's wonder. He wants to dwell with us because he, he loves us, and he loves you. He, takes, he wants to dwell with us because he wants to do something in your life. And he can only do it by coming close. The third candle that John lights is right here. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We, right here, we have seen his, his glory. The glory of the one and only Son. Now, glory. When you think of glory, what do you think of? What comes to mind when you think of glory? Hmm? You think of your favorite celebrity? I don't know. What do you think of? Someone winning a championship? Messi holding the trophy up? I think the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of glory, I think of my wife on that day when the doors opened and she started to walk down the aisle. I do. Here's a person I had seen for years. I knew her face. But there was something when the doors opened and she was walking down with her father, there was an inner radiance about her that just struck me dumb. It wasn't a physical glory. It was a glory that was radiating from within her. This woman who wants to dwell with me for the rest of my life. When God shows up in glory, glory means radiance, it means beauty, and it means majesty. And it's the radiance that shines on us from God. It's like this young woman over here, just, the sun is hitting you right in the face. <laughs> Poor girl. But it's, it's got her lit up. I can see her blue eyes, her hair. She's just shining. Now, see, Jesus' radiance is not from the outside. Everyone else is bathed in the radiance of his light, but his light doesn't come from a candle or a moon. It comes from within him, and it shines. And he shines with the beauty of God. You know, when I was not a Christian, 
and I was thinking about this whole God thing, it was the idea of beauty that, to me, was one of the greatest apologetics for the reality and existence of a God. Because the idea of saying that things are beautiful just to serve a pragmatic evolutionary mechanism to make me want to procreate and fill my stomach with food, just, just, it just ran a bit trite. I was like, really? I, you know, I hear you, scientists, but I think you're missing something. Beauty, to me, is the ultimate apologetic of God because beauty just touches us in a transcendent way. It, like, it stirs something, uh, something in us that we didn't even always know we had. You know, when you see that child, a baby, your first child born, you're just like, ah! There's something there. When you look up at the sky, can we go back to that sky image, the Milky Way? When you look up at the stars, it's just like, it just touches you. It makes you, it awakens you spiritually. Jesus shines with the glory of that transcendent beauty that is drawing all of us to him. But sometimes we get off track and we get distracted, chasing false beauties that are just a reflection of his beauty. And that is what your heart and my heart longs for. Jesus shines with the glory of God's beauty in two ways, according to John. At the very bottom, he says, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Now, that says a lot about the way that God carries his glory. His glory is so awesome, you can melt your face off with it. But he didn't want to do that. He wanted to melt your heart. And the way he did that was... <laughs> do you guys notice this thing? This thing was not working. He wanted to melt your heart with his truth and grace. Let me just break this to you real quick. Number one about his truth. The glory of God's beauty in his truth is this. Hebrews 1.3, it says that the sun is the radiance of God's glory. Get this. The exact representation of his being. Meaning, when you look at Jesus, you're seeing the whole truth about God. You don't have, the good news is you don't have to be in the dark anymore about who God is or what he's like. When you look at Jesus and he is reaching out to the lepers and he is reaching out to that woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and he brings her in and he heals and he calls her daughter. When he tells the story of a father waiting for his son who has spent all of his life savings on poor living and runs to meet him with an embrace. He's showing us what the Father's like, what God is like. He's showing us that behind the universe is not simply a rational mind, but a loving heart that loves you. And that's why you exist. You exist because think about this. Somewhere, back in time, you didn't exist yet. Isn't that a weird thought? There's a moment in history where you were not here. And you were in the heart of God, and out of love, he brought you forth to be in relationship with him. All we can know about God, the full truth we see in Jesus. Secondly, Jesus shines with the glory of God's grace. What is grace? When you think of grace, what do you think of? I think of my wife putting up with me for 23 years and living with me. Let me explain. See, when we first got married... She brought in one standard of living, and I had another standard. And it really came into clash, and I've shared this story, but I love this story. 
on that Saturday morning, the sun was shining and the ocean was glistening. We lived in Cardiff, two blocks from the beach, and I could see the ocean. It was shining. It looked like diamonds on the surface of the water. We are going to the beach today. And she was like, oh yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. We're going to the beach. But first, and she handed me a toilet scrubber. We're cleaning the house and we're cleaning the bathroom. So I'm like, what? <laughs> you see, one standard of living and my standard were colliding. And it's a, it's a fun thing when you get to live with the love of your life, but it's also a scary thing. And the standard of her cleanliness collided with mine. And for 23 years, she has had grace on me and put up with me, because finally at 49, yes, toilets should be cleaned at least once a week and not every three years. (laughs) So grace is unearned love. It's unearned favor. It's, get this, you guys. Grace is the way that Christians describe the love of God for you that you could never earn or deserve. And it's not trying to belittle your worth. It's trying to locate the origin of God's love for you in him, which means there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to break his love for you. It's unconditional. It's grace. It's, it's, it's a father for his son and daughter. He adores you. And we have only but to receive it or reject it. But it's our choice, what we do with it. And that's what's so cool about the shepherds, that they hear this news and they run to find the baby in the same way we have an invitation to respond to this grace. Now, I want to invite the band to come out. And as the band comes out, my favorite story of grace, it's a familiar story to some of you who know me, but it's a story of my father who, when confronted with the truth of Jesus Christ as Savior, was at my bedside on August 12th, late at night. My dad had lived his life as essentially an atheist. Didn't understand my faith. And yeah, yeah, here they kind of come. And um, my dad's life was falling apart. He'd lost his job. Key relationships in his life were under severe strain. His marriage was hanging by just like a hair's breadth of thread. And um, he got on his knees and finally came to terms with the fact that he wasn't God of even his own life. And he says, son, I need you to tell me about Jesus. Now listen, I started to tell him about Jesus and about his death on the cross for the forgiveness of his sin. The forgiveness of everything in my dad's life that has been separating him from God and his choice to live without God. And I said, dad, but God wants to forgive you. He wants, out of grace, he wants to receive you home into relation with him. And he said, God could never forgive me for the last 50 years and what I've done. I've lived 50 years without him. Why now would he let me at home? I told him the story of the thief on the cross, a thief who was crucified next to Jesus and uh, turned to Jesus in his last breath and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know what Jesus said? Well, you know, you never made it to church enough. Well, you know, it's your last moment here. Yeah, a bit of a Hail Mary. I don't think so. No cutting in line to heaven. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. My dad looked at me and said, okay, I'm ready. And I prayed with my dad to receive forgiveness, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now get this. When I had finished praying with my dad and he looked up at me, there was a brightness in his face that was so intense, I couldn't look at him. It was like that day when my wife 
walk through the door. It's just like there is something shining on my dad. I don't know what it is. Two weeks later, one of my best friends came over and said, dude, what's up with your dad's face? <laughs> I told him he hadn't been to a tanning salon, but that he was filled with the glory of God's grace. Do you know God's grace like that? There's this verse that I wanted to send you guys out with. Um, so let this settle in your heart. For by the grace you have, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. The greatest gift that God gave to the world was not a brand new Xbox, a new sweater, or a new car, but was the life of his son, eternal life for you. Now look, some of you may not know Jesus in this way, but I want to ask you to do me a favor today. If you would like to know Jesus more in your life, if you would like to know something about this grace, maybe you're not ready to go all in, but you want to know more. You want to be like the shepherds and investigate and discover what God is doing in the universe through his son, Jesus. And I just want to invite you to take a big step. I know we're at Christmas and it's like, ah, you know, you want to blend in, but maybe you let the light of God shine on you for a moment and just raise your hand. And this is just saying, you know what? I want 2023 to be not about partying, not about making more money, but about the year of spiritual growth, the greatest year of spiritual growth in your life. A year to know the glory of God's grace for you personally in a way that just changes you and causes heaven to spill out in joyous celebration over. If you have to know, take a, make a spiritual search this year. Be intentional about it. Then raise your hand. I want to pray a blessing over you. Just put your hand up. And yeah, I see you over here. I see you. I see you guys. Come on, I see you guys. Put your hand up. You're not doing this for me. We're not going to like wisp you off to a mothership here. I'm just going to pray for you. Don't worry. Don't worry. You're not signing up for a timeshare. I see you, my man, my man. I see you over here. I see you in the back. I see you on the, I see you in the red dress and the red bonnet. Oh my God. I see you. Okay. If you raise your hand just for a moment, let's just quiet our hearts. Just for a moment, a transcendent moment, a moment with God. Let's quiet ourselves. Lord, for those who raise their hand, we pray. So just repeat after me if you raise your hand. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Shine the light of God's glory on my life. I want to know your truth. And I want to know your grace. I don't just want empty religion. I want your living spirit, your forgiveness, and your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, that prayer is like a little seed that you planted in your heart. And it can grow if you water it. I want to invite you to come back and join us. We're going to be jumping into a series between January and Easter called the Way of the Cross. You can get the book in um, the coffee shop. But listen, we're going to be studying what Jesus did on the cross and the radical difference that it has made for the world and will make in your life. God sent his son so that you could return home to your father in heaven and live with his life bursting with joy at the seams of your life. Wouldn't you like that? Come and join us this season.
and let's seek God together. You guys have a Merry Christmas. Eat lots of pie. Have lots of lollipops. I'll see you in the new year.